blessing. You remember last week after we witnessed the greatest turnaround ever. Jesus going from a dead man to a man who is living. He gave us a few final words in the book of Matthew in chapter 28 and verse 19. Actually, I'm going to begin in verse 18. No solos for me, brother. Sorry. You don't want to hear, you don't want to hear all this. Amen. It's bad enough. But in his glorified body, the Lord Jesus told his disciples this in verse 18. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, friend, every person in this building has what is called a sphere of influence. Y'all following me? Each one of us has a sphere of influence. We all have a family. We all have a group of friends. We all have teammates, perhaps on a ball team. We all have a group of co-workers. We all have a group of people that we bump into regularly that would be called our sphere of influence. And here's the good news for the people of God. God has gifted his people with special gifts to make sure that we influence those who are in our sphere of influence for God's glory. So you've been gifted as a child of God to make a difference, to make an impact, to influence those in your sphere. Now, some things in our world are real bad. Amen? Some things in our world are real sad. Some things in our world make us downright mad. Amen? But listen, the only way that things are going to change is if Christians, the people of God, resolve that we're going to make an impact for the glory of God through Jesus Christ. You're going to have to resolve that you're going to make a difference. You're going to have to resolve that you're going to be an influence. You're going to impact your world for Jesus Christ. Now, I remember reading an article that was entitled, The Paradox of Our Time. Now, you need to know what a paradox is. A paradox is uh, a statement that seems to contradict itself, but it's nonetheless true. Now, the paradox of our time kind of goes like this. We spend more, but we have less. We have bigger houses, but smaller families. We have more conveniences, but we have less time. We have more degrees, but we have less sense. We have more knowledge, but we have less wisdom. We have more experts, but it seems like we got more problems. 
have more medicine than we've ever had. But we have less wellness. It's a paradox of our time. And as a nation, we drink and smoke too much, we spend too recklessly, and we laugh too little. We drive too fast, we get too angry, we get up too late, and we get up too tired, we read too little, we watch TV far too much, and listen to me, we pray too seldom. We've multiplied our possessions, but we have reduced our values. We talk too much, we love too little, and we hate too often. We've learned to make a living, but not a life. We've added years to our lives, but we haven't added life to our years. We've been all the way to the moon and back. But we have problems crossing the street to meet a new neighbor. We've done larger things, but not necessarily better things. And while we've been cleaning up the air, we've been polluting our souls. Friends, God wants his people to do something God wants his people to be so filled with his grace, to be so filled with his spirit, that not one human being will perish and go to hell. In essence, God wants you. He wants you to make an impact on your world for his glory. When God's people begin to make it a priority to love him, to love each other, and to love our neighbor, then and only then can we begin to make an impact on this world for Christ Jesus. And so today, our focus is going to be on relevant steps that we can take as God's people to fulfill that mission. Now, I acknowledge that we live in a world that's full of problems. I want to tell you that some of the things that our government does absolutely infuriates me. And many of the things that people do to one another really sickens me. But friends, although people are the ones responsible, although they're the ones contributing to most of the negative things going into, into our world, God still desires that all people would turn from their sins. God still desires that everyone would avoid the eternal consequences of sin. Someone once said, we keep asking God to bless America. Well, guess what? He already has. Now it's our turn. Now it's our turn to bless God. Why don't we start blessing God with faith? Why don't we start blessing God with obedience and with reverence? It's our turn to do something good in Jesus' name. Especially if we claim that we belong to God. You see, God's people have a higher calling 
on their life. It truly is a calling from the creator of the universe on your life. And my prayer for you today is that you're acknowledging that and you want to make a difference. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, the Apostle Paul provides for us some ways. Some ways that Christians can impact their world for Jesus Christ. In verse 2, or chapter 2 of 1 Timothy, Paul writes and he says, Therefore I, ex I exhort, I encourage you, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and givings of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all who are in authority. That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Who desires that all men to be saved. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is but one God. And the one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. Who gave himself to be a ransom for all. For all. So if we're going to impact our world for Christ, the first thing that Paul says we need to be doing is we need to be praying unceasingly. We need to be praying without ceasing. Notice what he said there in verse 1. He said, therefore, I encourage you that supplications. What is a supplication? When was the last time you used that word? Amen? A supplication basically is letting God know what you need. Okay, he says, all supplications, prayers, we know what that is, that's just conversing with God, right? Uh, letting your wishes be made known, and intercessions, I don't use that word very often either, but intercession is just when I petition God for somebody else's sake, right? So Paul says, first of all, I pray that all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and the giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority. Now friend, just listen to what a few men of God said about the impact of prayer. Samuel Chadwick said, The chief concern of Satan, the chief concern of God's arch enemy is to keep Christians from praying. Satan fears nothing from prayerless studies. He fears nothing from prayerless work. He fears nothing from prayerless religion. He laughs at all of our church work. He laughs and mocks at our wisdom. But listen to me. He trembles when we pray. He trembles when we pray. The great teacher of preachers, Charles Spurgeon, said, I would rather teach one man to pray than ten men to preach. The great evangelist Ian Bounds said, what the church needs today is not new organizations and, and new methods. What the church needs today is people filled with the Holy Spirit of God who are mighty in prayer. Mighty in prayer. Friend, if we're going to impact a fallen world for Jesus Christ, God's people are going to have to pray. We got to pray. Pray for our hearts to be willing. 
Pray for our lives to be yielded to our master so that you and I can be Jesus to those who are in our sphere. we got to be praying. We must pray for everyone who means anything to you and pray for many of those who don't mean anything to you. Amen? We need to pray for our mates. Pray for our children. Pray for our family members. Pray for our ministers. Pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray for our church leaders. Pray for our country's leaders. We got to pray at church. But equally as important, we got to pray at home. We've got to pray while you're driving with your eyes open. I pray, amen. I pray while, we got to pray while we're doing laundry. Pray while we're cleaning the house. Pray while we're doing our chores. Pray when you get up. Pray when you go back to bed. we got to pray every chance we get if we're going to impact this world for Jesus Christ. Pray. James 5.16, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus said, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, the only reason we're righteous is because of Jesus. I understand that. But the Lord says that when God's people pray, it avails much. So just how powerful is prayer? What difference does it make in your life that people are praying for you or that you're praying for others? How effective is prayer? I mean, does prayer make a difference? Does it make a difference when you pray for people? If that's the case, perhaps we need to spend more time in prayer and less time eating. You know, amen after that one. And you didn't hear one from me either, did you? <laughs> amen. Perhaps we need to pray more time believing and less time straying away from God. And we got to pray. We must pray. Most of all, and I mentioned this in my earlier prayer, we must pray most of all for people. Lost people. Broken people. Addicted people. Relation, people struggling with relationships. People who are dealing with and grieving with the loss of a loved one. People who are spiritually lost. They need our prayers. And people say, Brother Bill, I just don't know what I'm good at. I don't know what I can do for the glory of God. I don't know what I can do for the kingdom of heaven. I don't know what I can do for God's kingdom. Can you pray? Every one of us can pray if we only would. And maybe if we pray long enough, if we pray patient enough, if we pray fervent enough, if we pray faithful enough, this mission of impacting our world for Jesus Christ just might be accomplished. If we'll pray. Friend, don't you Ever, ever doubt. Don't you ever doubt the power of God. And don't you ever doubt the power of prayer. God's people must pray without ceasing. But we must also do something else. And that is we must live righteously. Take a look at verse 2 in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Paul says, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of our God. I'm going to back up a little bit. I'm going to go to the end of verse 2. That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life 
in all godliness and reverence. Leave a peaceable and quiet life. And I want to begin this point by sharing with you a story that a preacher wrote that um, really had a lifelong bearing on the man that's speaking to you today. This preacher wrote, the ugly part of me sure showed his ugly side the other day. He said, I was driving on a four-lane road, and my two lanes were beginning to merge into one single lane. And the woman who was in the car beside me, she was in the lane that was going to continue. I was in the lane whose lane was going to end. Well, as a preacher, I thought that my schedule was more important than hers. So naturally, I floored it. And you can believe what this woman did. She floored it too. And when we got to where those lanes merged together, she had me by a bumper. And so I had to back off and let her pass. Well, I growled and I complained and I uttered some things that I had no business. And over her shoulder, she gave me a little bye-bye wave. <laughs> and I growled some more. But that's not the end of the story. Because as she passed in the nighttime, I started to dim my headlights. And I realized, wait a minute, you're a preacher. Aren't you supposed to shed light on darkness? <laughs> and so I put a little high beam right in her rearview mirror. Mm-mm. Any of y'all been there? Here we go. And then she retaliated. She slowed down. And when I say she slowed down, she slowed down to a crawl, 25 miles an hour. And I couldn't pass her. This woman was mean. So, like two stubborn mules, she kept it slow and I kept it bright. And after a few more unkind thoughts, the road widened again and I began to pass her. And you ain't going to believe what was up on the other side. A red light. So we pulled up next to each other side by side at that intersection. And what happened next contains both good news and bad news. The good news is, is she waved at me. The bad news is it was four fingers short. <laughs> Moments later, conviction overcame your pastor. And I said, what are you doing? Why did you do that? Normally, you're a calm guy. But for 15 minutes, you were an absolute beast. Brothers and sisters, is that you? Two? 
You ever been a beast at home? Ever been a... I saw that. <laughs> Sitting on elbows, stack right in the ribs. <laughs> He's a beast. Hey, don't feel shot at, brother. We've all been there. You ever been a beast at work? You ever been a beast at Walmart? That's a beastly environment. You ever been a beast while you're driving? While you're shopping? You know, we're all pretty good people here at church, aren't we? But I want to tell you something today. God is very much interested in how his people act and react outside the walls. He knows we're going to put our best foot forward when we're in here. But what are we going to act like when we get out there? First Peter chapter 2, Peter wrote, Live such good lives among the unbelievers that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they'll see your good deeds or your good life and they'll glorify God. We got to be careful how we live our lives. In front of unbelieving people. We can't give them. Offer up any ammunition they need. They got all they need already. If they see our honorable behavior. Perhaps over time. They will begin to believe. And even honor God. So if we're going to impact. If we want to impact. Our sphere. Our world. For Christ Jesus. We're going to have to learn to live righteously. We've got to kill the beast within. We've got to live holy lives. And listen to me. We've got to live holy lives without that holier-than-thou attitude that we sometimes walk in here with. Right? So, if we're going to affect those in our sphere, if we're going to do it in a positive way, we've got to choose. That's right. It's a choice. You choose whether you're going to pray or not. And you choose whether or not you're going to live a righteous life or not. But there's something else we must do. And that is we got to evangelize fervently. Check this out in verse 3. Paul says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men. How many? All men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He desires that. Okay? That's not his determined will. That's his desired will. He desires that all men be saved to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who himself gave himself as a ransom for all. For all. God wants all people to be saved. Not just the ones mean you think are worthy to be saved. God wants all people to be saved, not just a select few. Or a particular denomination. Or a particular country. Right? He wants all people to be saved. Now, simply put, evangelism 
basically is just presenting some kind of witness for Jesus. Some kind of witness. Some kind of witness with the idea that those who see you, those who hear you, they may come to believe in him. They may trust and obey him. And they just might be saved from God's wrath against sin. Leading people to Jesus is the job of every single believer. Every one of us are called to present some kind of a witness for Jesus. And I think as long as you're acting and speaking biblically, it don't matter how you do it. As long as you're doing it, the result is the same. Somebody is going to be eternally changed because they saw Jesus in you. Now, at one time, a fellow named Roland Stewart was a drunk. I mean, a sloppy, dirty drunk. Roland was an alcoholic who lived exclusively for his next drink. But somehow, Roland got introduced to Jesus. He became a Christian and God healed him of alcoholism. Praise God. And then one day, an idea struck Roland. He said, if I could just get into major sporting events and somehow get uh, the word of God before hundreds of thousands of people in the stands and on TV Maybe, just maybe, it would do some good. And so Roland and his wife Margaret and a few of his friends began living a really strange life. They started driving about 55,000 miles a year in an old beat-up van going and buying tickets for major sporting events where they would go inside, sit in the stands, and hold up a sign. It said John 3.16. Rowan had no clue whose life might be affected by that. It didn't matter. He just wanted to get the word of God in front of people. Nowadays, every single game you see, you're probably going to see a sign that says John 3.16. But Roland Stewart was the pioneer behind that kind of evangelism. Many, many years later, University of Football player Tim Tebow followed Roland's example. You see, Tim Tebow knew that throughout the game, the eyes of all the spectators was going to be on him. And so what he did is he started writing Bible verses on his anti-glare I tape. During the 2009 championship game, Tim wrote John 3.16 on his eye black. And during that game and after that game, 92 million people Googled that verse. 92 million people wanted to know 
That God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. All because one man took a stand. By writing John 3.16 on his eyeblade. We got a whole row of athletes back there. And I'd venture to say that the majority of you guys use eye black. Maybe you ought to try that. You know, many years later, or many years earlier, actually, Dwight Moody, he was getting really criticized for the way that he shared Jesus Christ to people. But Dwight Moody said, you know what? I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. So we're not going to criticize how somebody shares Jesus. Amen. Just do it. A sign, an eye black, a faithful life, an encouraging word, a good example, a godly pattern. The sad truth is this. Most Christian people do little or nothing to present a witness for Jesus Christ. And while an unbelieving world is shouting out its messages on beer cans and Nike sportswear, the church is doing little outside the building to spread that life-giving message of Jesus Christ. I mean, if all we're doing is saying amen inside the church, but we're doing nothing outside the church to spread the Lord's saving message, then really, we are missing the mark. Really, we are falling short of our mission. And we're not reaching our sphere. And we're not impacting our world. I read that 95%, 95%, y'all, of all Christians, never try to lead one person to Jesus in their whole life. That means that 5% of Christians are doing the 100% job of evangelism. So I got a real penetrating question to ask you. What group are you in? What group are you in? Listen, friends, the Lord doesn't expect us to do everything. But he sure does expect us to do something. Something. First Peter 3.15, the Bible says, In your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Because if he's not Lord of all, listen, he ain't Lord at all. Set in your heart to Christ as Lord, and be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. I mean, if God is on the inside of us, surely he's going to make it to the outside of us, right? If the fire of Jesus Christ is alive and burning hot inside of us, surely the fire is going to spread outside of us and maybe even send somebody else in the process. We have to constantly, friend, be on the lookout 
Be on the lookout. Be be diligent. Be deliberate. Be intentional to look for these opportunities to present a witness. Perhaps to tell your story. Be on the lookout for opportunities, friend, for you to invite someone to church. Be on the lookout for opportunities to encourage somebody who's beaten down. Look out for opportunities to point somebody to Jesus Christ. To impact, impact those in our sphere of influence, friend, we got to make a choice. To pray unceasingly, to live righteously, and to evangelize fervently. This is all part of our mission. Our mission that God wants to use us to save humanity. We don't do it. We can't do it. But God can use us to do it. And I pray that you desire that. I mean, it's God's desire that none perish, but that all come to repentance. It's God's desire that none perish, but that all people be saved. That's his desire. That's his desire for you. And now I want to look at this final slide, Brother Hal. Jesus said in Acts to believers, you will be my witnesses. Now, when we read that on the surface, we acknowledge, you know, I need to do a better job sharing the gospel. And we do. Praying unceasingly and living righteously and evangelizing fervently. But you know what? If you look at these three icons here, there's three ways that you use every single day where you can present a witness for Jesus Christ. Talking with your friends. Right? Using those stinking phones we got that we can't do without. Right? Social media, right? Using uh, the, the computer, you know, the, the, the online presence that your church has, right? The, the website that your church has, the YouTube channel that your church has, the Facebook page that your church has. You can utilize all those things to present some kind of witness, right? Where people are identifying you with Jesus. So I challenge you, friend, use your words to present a witness for Jesus. Use those stinking phones to present a witness for Jesus. Every chance you get, if you see something worth sharing that's about Jesus, share it. Share it. Right? Let people know what's going on at your church. Let people know what's going on uh, in Jesus' kingdom. Utilize your voice. Utilize your phone. Let's use it for good for a change. Amen? There's so much filth in it. Why don't we use it for good for a change? Right? And use our online presence for good for a change. Friend, listen. I got to ask you. Have you come to faith trusting in Jesus? Have you come to faith in Christ trusting that God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life? I want you to know, friend, if you haven't, you can today. You don't have to leave here the same way you walked in. You can be saved. Saved from the penalty of sin. But as a Christian, 
Have you discovered today? Wow. I am called to make a difference. I am called to make an impact to influence those in my sphere of influence. Are you doing the things that are necessary to make that kind of impact? Are you praying unceasingly? Are you living righteously? Are you presenting some kind of a witness? Evangelizing fervently. I want you to know that if you haven't been, why not make a vow before God Almighty today that you're going to start doing that? I mean, you belong to him already. Why not take some people with you? Amen. Why not take some people to heaven with you? Are you praying unceasingly? Are you living righteously? Are you evangelizing fervently? I can't answer that question for you. But I bet all those people in your sphere of influence can. They can tell you. God wants to use you to impact your world for Jesus. The only question that begs to be asked is will you choose to let him use you? Because it is your choice. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, we rejoice that as your property, as your possession, as your people, as your church, as your servants, as your instruments, as the tools you use to save humanity, Father, we're just blown away at the privilege, honored at the opportunity. And I pray that your people have heard from your word this morning and that we're all going to do better. That beginning this day, we're going to make a vow before Almighty God that things are going to be different. They're going to see a different Bill Barlow on the road this week. We're going to make a difference. Father, I pray if there's one here who realizes that the first step to making a difference is coming to Christ. Father, I pray that you would let them have just that one step of faith where they step out of their pew, step forward, come on up here, allow me to pray with them and show them what your word says about how they can be 100% miraculously saved from the penalty of sin. We're looking forward to being with you for all eternity, Lord. Heaven's going to be so glorious, and we won't have to worry about all this business up there. But Lord, you've got to work for us here. And that is, you want us people with us. Lord, let us be fervent. Let us be diligent. Lord, let us be intentional for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.